Good morning. Good morning. Good to see all your smiling faces out there. You can't smile. Amen. <laughs> I'll invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 2. Mark, chapter 2. I have to pray for me this morning. I was up a lot of the night. Um, I guess allergies, uh, sneezing, uh, stuffy nose. Uh, so if I get into a sneezing fit, just bear with me. Because the uh, Lord knows that if I sneeze once, I'm going to sneeze a hundred times. And uh, that doesn't make for good uh, visualization uh, when you're standing before a bunch of people. <laughs> so uh, Mark chapter 2, pray with me. Hopefully I won't sneeze. Hopefully it will all be afterwards and I'll try not to sneeze on any particular people here. Um, Maybe one or two of you might give it. it. (laughs) Mark chapter 2. I want to talk to you this morning on the Lord of the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 23 through 28. So when you find your place, if you're able, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 2, verse number 23. Mark chapter 2, beginning verse number 23. And the word of God says, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, And his disciples began, as they went, to pluck ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had uh, need and was hungered, and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, I pray that your word will go out and touch the hearts of those people present. Lord, I pray that it will convict us, Lord, where we are uh, needing conviction. Lord, that it will uh, encourage us where we need encouragement. And Father, I pray that you uh, be lifted up, your son be lifted up, because if he is lifted up, he will draw men to himself. And Father, I pray, Lord, that if there is one here that's lost, they will be drawn to Christ. Lord, through the message of your word, and through the drawing power of your Holy Spirit. Give me the words to say as I preach as a dying man to dying people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The Lord of the Sabbath. As Jesus has been, uh, began his earthly ministry here on, uh, in the book of Mark, we have uh, seen him uh, go through a whole bunch of different things. We've seen him go into the synagogues. And as he went to the synagogues, he uh, would teach the word and preach the word. And, and people were astonished at the way that Jesus was preaching. They would often say, "He, we've never heard preaching like this. We've never heard teaching like this. And they would say, he teaches as one that has authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. And the reason for that is because the scribes and the Pharisees and the other religious rulers of the day, when they would go into the synagogues and and teach on certain portions of scripture, uh, they would often do nothing but quote some rabbinical writings from uh, years gone past. 
mostly commentaries and what people thought about what that passage said. And in doing that, they would tack on all these different traditions and traditions and traditions. And so finally, when uh, somebody would stand up and teach something about the Bible, it wouldn't be uh, the Bible that was being taught, but it would be man's traditions. And so Jesus, since his beginning in the, of his ministry, he has been refuting and teaching against these man-made traditions. And let me tell you something. These legalistic, traditional Pharisees have hated him ever since. And they're trying to get something on him so that they can get rid of him. In fact, we're going to see where that plot begins uh, in chapter 3 uh, later on, possibly next week. So this is the setting. They've been trying to get a hold of him, trying to gain something on him. They, they didn't like how in the earlier parts of chapter 2, how he ate with the tax collectors, how he ate with the sinners. They didn't like that he, as they saw maybe a prophet, that was going against their tradition and going against their customs. They were even said, how can this man eat? How is it, verse 16 of chapter 2, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? They had such disdain for the people that they seemed deplorable that anybody that could associate with them must be like them. And unbeknownst to the Pharisees and the scribes, that on the inside, they were just like the publicans and just like the sinners. They had everything going on the outside. They had everything that looked good. They dressed the part. They talked the part. They did the part. But on the inside, they were just as dead as anyone else on the inside. One thing they took offense to, we looked at last week in the evening service, was the fasting. The Pharisees' disciples fasted. John the Baptist's disciples fasted. But Jesus' disciples did not fast. The reason for that, he says, because they have the bridegroom. When the bridegroom gets taken away, then they can fast. But for now, it's a celebration. The Pharisees were missing the point that the Messiah had come. And it was not a time to grieve as fasting would uh, show, but it was a time of, to celebrate because the Lamb of God, the Messiah that was to take away the sins of the world, was come down in flesh and was with them, but they could not see it for their tradition and their uh, own man-made customs got in the way of seeing Jesus for who he really was. And so they didn't like his teaching. They didn't like that he went against these man-made customs. And so this, this morning, we look at another custom that he was going against, and it was regarding the Sabbath. And so we're going to look and see what it means about him going against their laws on the Sabbath and what it means when he makes this statement, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So there's three things I want us to notice this morning. Hopefully we'll get through them. 
Number one, I want you to notice the dispute in verses 23 and 24. It says, And it came to pass that he, being Jesus, went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went uh, to... And his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And so this is them trying to get Jesus uh, as to why his disciples are, are breaking the law. What they would see is breaking the law. Now, first of all, let's talk about what the disciples were doing. It says here that they were going through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. It says that the disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. Now, this wouldn't have been corn like we think of, of corn that, uh, you know, you go to the flea market and you can get the roasted corn and all that good stuff that, that tastes so good. This would have, uh, was just a, a regular wheat like we would think of it, just heads of wheat. And so what the disciples were doing, uh, they were going through, and uh, you can read an account that gives a little bit more detail in Luke chapter 6, verse 1. What they were doing, they were going through and they were uh, plucking the wheat. All they would do, and this, by the way, this was allowed by Mosaic law. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, gave provision that if uh, you were, that if somebody could, that could, they could walk through a cornfield or a, a wheat field, and they were allowed by law to simply pluck a few ears of corn or a few pieces of the wheat from there. That was provided in Deuteronomy chapter 23. And so they were doing what the law of Moses provided for. But what they were doing, they were going through and they would just pluck some wheat. And as they would pluck the wheat, they would remove the husks from around the heads of the wheat. And then they would take this grain and they would rub it in their hands. And when they would rub it in their hands, uh, they would uh, open up their hands and they would blow the shaft into the air. And then... They would eat. So here's what they were doing. Just to kind of give you a visual. They'd walk. They'd pluck. Rub. Eat. Simple as that. That's what they were doing. They were hungry it says. But what the disciples did. And what the Pharisees saw. Were two completely different things. See. What was plucking of the wheat. The Pharisees would see as reaping. What was simply a removal of a husk, the Pharisees saw as sifting. What the Pharisees, what was simply rubbing the heads of grain, the Pharisees saw as threshing. And what was uh, throwing off the shaft into the air, the Pharisees saw as winnowing. And then what they, what was really eating, the Pharisees saw as preparing a meal. Now, all of those things were condemned on the Sabbath day. But that was for if you worked and you had a whole pile of this stuff to go through. They were just simply taking them some snacks because they were hungry. Really, what was going on is that when they asked a question... Why are they doing that which is not lawful? What they were really saying is, Jesus, why are your disciples going against the tradition that our fathers made up? They weren't breaking any kind of Mosaic law. They were breaking tradition. You see, the 
uh, the, the Pharisees and their fathers before them had come up with all these different traditions uh, that were to go along with the seventh day, things that, that really made it more of a hindrance than it was supposed to be. They were they taught you can't lift anything over a certain amount of weight on the Sabbath day. You couldn't travel so far from your house on the Sabbath day. There were just so many things you couldn't do that all you could really do on the Sabbath day was go to the synagogue and that was it. They had added all these traditions. And by the way, when you start to make up your own traditions and apply it to the Word of God, it is very easy to find fault with other people. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. You see, the Pharisees, they were good at fault finding, as we see. They were, they, because they were so accustomed to these traditions... And they had studied the traditions so much that they were able to find loopholes for themselves to get around it, but not anybody else. So anybody else that would go against the traditions, they could condemn, but yet they could speak highly of them own, of their own selves. This is what legalism does. Legalism is able to find fault with somebody else, but is not able to find fault with their own person. They can find fault with uh, people in the way that they dress, but can't find fault in their own selves. So people today even uh, are, are caught up in a pharisaical, legalistic system of Christianity, which I would say is not Christianity at all. Because they force their own traditions and they force their own ideas upon people that we don't find anywhere written in the Word of God. The minute you start to add to the Word of God, you are in big trouble. Amen. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've heard of people say, oh, well, you can't come here because you don't dress the part. You can't come here because, hey, you don't look like us. You can't come here because, well, you don't, you don't make enough money. We want, hey, listen. You think I'm making this up? I heard one person, uh, I heard about one person telling another pastor, hey, look, if you're going out soul winning, you can't, you can't uh, build a church on these people that live in mobile home communities because you never know how long they're going to be there. So you might as well just avoid those people. God help that person. Amen. Hey, you might not be able to build a church, but folks, listen, you can witness somebody and they get saved. Amen. And if they get saved when they leave that place, they'll go to another church and still be faithful. I'm so sick of people looking at the church as a business. A friend of mine I went to uh, college with, he's a church planner up in Maine. And he was wanting to build a, uh, he was wanting to go and start a church over in an uh, area in, in Maine. So there was only one other Baptist church in this particular town. So he called up and asked, uh, Maybe for some support, maybe fellowship uh, with this other guy. And anyway, he called him up and he said, "Hey, look, brother," he said, uh, "Here's here's my intention." He said, "You're the only Baptist church in town." He said, "He said there's all these people in the community uh, in, the, in this area." He said, I, "He said I want to come and uh, start a, a church there." He said, "I was you know just kind of talking to him, see if, what, if he could get some support." And the guy responded, "He said, well, let me ask you this." He said, "How would you feel if?" Uh, you were the only grocery store in town and somebody else wanted to build another grocery store. 
Hey, the church isn't a grocery store. And last time I looked, as churches, true churches, we cooperate together for the better of the kingdom of God. We see that's what legalism does. Legalism points out the faults of others, but can't find fault with themselves. What did Jesus say? You got a beam in your own eye. When you, why, are you, why are you trying to take the moat out of the, your brother's eye? You need to remove that beam that's in your eye first. And one thing I found is that when people come and they start to find fault in churches, let me tell you what's wrong with this church. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with something going on over here, something going on over there. You know what I find a lot of times? That the things that they say is wrong, with the, wrong, quote unquote, with this church is purely tradition. Purely self. Nothing scriptural. Oh, you know, I just think we ought to have pews instead of chairs. We've always had pews. Why do we need to get chairs now? So disputes happen. Churches split. Why? That's stupid. Nothing scriptural. We just don't like the singing here. So we're going to go right on down the road. Singing, really? If you're worshiping God, I care less how good the congregation sounds when they sing. Amen. I had a couple tell me that first church I was pastoring. They they loved the preaching uh, at the church I was pastoring. They loved uh, um, the Bible version I used. They loved everything about the church. They just didn't like the music, so they said, we started going here because they sang better. <laughs> well, all right, then. I didn't know we were here for your entertainment. Amen. But God bless you. I hope you find your... Uh, Joy and service there. Find joyful service there. See, people want themselves served, but they don't want to serve the Savior. That's what the Pharisees did. They looked and they said, how can we serve our traditions rather than how can we serve God and our fellow man? That's the dispute that was going on. They had trouble with Jesus and his disciples going against that which was customary. They were finding fault. And so the dispute arose, but then Jesus comes to the defense of himself and the disciples. So we see the dispute, and now we'll see the defense. Verse number 25. And he said to them, Have ye never read what David did? When he had need and was hungered, he and they that were with him. This is a story that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. In verse 26, it says, How he went into the house of God, that would have been the tabernacle, and the days of Abiathar, the high priest. Now, when you read 1 Samuel 21, verse number 6, it will say Ahimelech was the high priest. Now, there's no contradiction there, but it was simply the fact that Abiathar was the better known of the high priest, and he had been taken out of commission at the time. And so when Jesus is speaking, he's just speaking that it was Abiathar, but really uh, it's just to give people a frame of reference. 
but it tells us it was uh, Ahimelech. So there's no uh, contradiction there. He was just kind of wanting to explain it a little bit better so that people would understand the context. So then the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he said, And did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. Now, first thing I want you to notice is there is defense and knowledge of the word of God. Jesus, of course, being the writer, author of the word of God, he knew it word for word. He knew it better than anybody else because he was the author. And so what he was telling is this story about David and his men. They went into the temple and they were hungry. And what would happen is every Sabbath day, 12 loaves of bread were baked and then placed on the table of showbread inside the tabernacle. These 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, after seven days on the Sabbath, they would uh, remove the uh, seven-day-old bread and they would replace it with the fresh bread. And only the priests were allowed to eat the uh, seven-day-old bread. You find that in Leviticus 24, verse number 9. And so when the, uh, David and his men came, they were hungry. And here's Abiathar, the high priest, Ahimelech. They say, we're hungry. What have you got to eat? And he says, I don't have anything here except for the showbread. He says, it's not really lawful for y'all to eat. But here's something that takes place. This high priest just simply asks him. He says, I tell you what, I'll give it to you on one condition. He says, have your men been with any women lately? They said, no. He said, no, it's been days since they've seen a woman. He says, okay, here you go. You can eat. And so Jesus is reminding the Pharisees of this story because it was a similar situation. It was not lawful, according to the word of God, according to the Old Testament law, for David and his men to eat this. And so it's the same thing. With the Pharisees trying to say, hey, it's not lawful for your men, your disciples, to eat on the Sabbath day like they're doing. So Jesus is showing through the word of God how this is defended. You see, the Pharisees, they knew what was being said. They knew the story. But Jesus is really getting to the teaching. You know what that teaching is? That even within the law of God, there is compassion and there is mercy. And the law was not meant to be a burden upon man. So when it was so when David and his men was hungry, the high priest showed compassion and God allowed it. God does not condemn the high priest, and he does not condemn David and his men for eating this showbread. Why? Because man's needs trumped the law at this time. Compassion trumped ceremonial law. And in doing this, Jesus is arguing from the greater to the lesser. If God allowed David and his men to eat this showbread, which was not allowed in the law, God will surely allow man's tradition to be broken in the light of human need. 
There's defense and knowledge. But there's defeat and ignorance. Look what Jesus how Jesus responds before he gets into the story. He says, and he said to them, have you never read? This is kind of a, one of those backhanded things, I guess you could say. Of course the Pharisees had read it. They knew the word of God frontward and backward. They, they studied it. They could quote it word for word. But they knew the story, but they did not know the teaching. And so what has happened is that they knew the story, but they didn't know the teaching about the compassion of God being showed upon these men at this time. And so that's the way we have people today. People know the Word of God. They know what the Bible says, but yet they don't know what it's teaching. We should be diligent in knowing the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says... Study, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. First, Tim, I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. Sorry, First Timothy. 2 Timothy, I mean, I'm in the wrong book. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. All Scripture. Did you catch that? All Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Why should we learn the Word of God? Why should we be so faithful to study it and put it into practice as James 1.22 says? Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. It's so that we don't fall into the trap of being a Pharisee just like Jesus was dealing with here. He doesn't want legalism. He doesn't want traditions to get in the way of the pure teaching of the Word of God. I'm reminded of a story. If I can remember exactly how it goes. This woman was preparing a a meal. And she had this this ham. And uh, she goes and uh, she's she's getting the ham ready, and before she puts it in the pan, she takes and she she cuts the the end of this ham off and throws it out to the dog, whatever. Her daughter sees this and says, "Sweet," says, "Mommy, why why'd you cut the end of that ham off?" And she said, "She said because that's the way your mom taught me, your your grandma taught me how to cook it. Just cut the end off and put it in the pan and go." So she thought that was strange. So she goes to Grandma. She says, Grandma, why do you cut the end off? Why do we cut the end off the ham before we put it in the pan? And she says, well, that's the way your great-grandmother taught me how to do it. So she thought that was weird. So she said, okay. Fortunately, the great-grandmother's still alive. So she goes and she asks the great-grandmother, you know, why... why Cut the end of the ham off. Why cut the end of the ham off? Well, sweetest, because when 
I would cook the food. The pan that we had was only so big and the ham wouldn't fit in it. <laughs> so we had to cut the end off. There was a reason for that tradition at first. The pan was too small. But over time, that tradition became the norm. That's what seems to happen with a lot of churches and a lot of Christians today. Tradition becomes the norm. And before long, we forget why we do certain things. And and rather than compare them with the Word of God, we just uh, talk it up to, well, we've always done it like that. What if the way you've been doing it is wrong? Tradition should always be compared to the Bible. And if our traditions get in the way of the Word of God, we need to change our traditions. And not try and reinterpret the Word of God to fit our traditions. So Jesus defends what they're doing based on the Word of God. And then he makes this declaration. Verse 27 and 28. We've seen a dispute. We've seen the defense. And now I want you to see this declaration. Verse 27 says, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. First of all, he makes a statement, a declaration about the Sabbath. He says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 verse number 3. When God, after creating all things in six days, it says he rested on the Sabbath. He, he consecrated. He made it holy. He rested on the Sabbath day. And then we go and we look in Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11 where uh, the law is given. The, new, the Ten Commandments is given. And so this is now part of the Ten Commandments. He says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. He says, for in six days you labor, on the seventh day rest. And by the way, the word Sabbath is not another word for seventh. I've heard people make that assumption because it sounds like seventh. And so they assume Sabbath means seven. And so that's why a lot of people say, well, you got to worship on Saturday. Because it's the seventh day of the week. No, that's not what that means. The word Sabbath just simply means rest. That's why you hear in the business world, uh, people take a sabbatical. They take a rest from work. It was given to man to be a day of rest from their regular work schedule. They worked for six days, laboring and toiling all the day. And they just need a day of rest. But then also, it was to be a day of worship. And so that's why we read where they would come and they would bring their sacrifices on the the Sabbath day. The priest would offer the sacrifices on the Sabbath day. They would go to synagogue on the Sabbath day. We as Christians now, our Sabbath day, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we have the... uh, experience of the early church they would gather on the first day of the week jesus rose on the first day of the week we see in the book of revelation john it says he was in the spirit that means he was worshiping on what the lord's day 
And so that's why our Sabbath day is the first day of the week because it commemorates and we remember that Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave, but he is risen up because he is alive forevermore. And so we worship on the Sabbath, on the first day of the week known as the Lord's Day. So the Sabbath day, this day of rest was to be a day of resting from your regular work schedule. It was to be a day of worship. That's why we come here and we worship on the Lord's day. But then he makes a declaration about himself. Therefore, verse 28, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. I bet this blew their minds. Because what Jesus is doing here, when he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath, he is elevating himself. To that of creator. He's saying, I created the Sabbath. And in a sense, when he says that, if he created the Sabbath, then we see he created everything. And if he created everything, there's one logical conclusion we must make. Jesus is God. And as God in flesh, he is condemning this pharisaical legalistic system that has become known as Judaism. He spends his ministry correcting and instructing his disciples in the true way of worship and the true meaning of the word of God. So many people, just like the Pharisees, are relying on their self-righteousness. They're relying on their own traditions. They're relying on everything that is man-made. Everything that they see that they themselves can do. They're relying on these things to gain favor with God. When God looks at our self-righteousness and God looks at our deeds and our good deeds and says your righteousness he says in Isaiah your righteousness is as filthy rags God doesn't want your good works God doesn't want your self righteousness it's filthy to him the only righteousness God will take is the righteousness found in his son Jesus Christ and so he says in his flesh Jesus says, as God made flesh, he says, your self-righteousness, your man-made laws about the Sabbath are completely wrong. I am the one that created the Sabbath. I am the one that makes the rules about the Sabbath. You must bow down to me. Do not rely on your own good deeds. Do not rely on your own good works, whether they be works done in the church or outside of the church. I'm a Baptist through and through, but just because you got dunked when you were a certain age, that does not guarantee your entrance into heaven. Just because you may partake of the Lord's Supper does not guarantee your entrance into heaven. Just because you may volunteer your time 
and come to church every time the doors are open, that does not guarantee your entrance into heaven. The only thing that guarantees your entrance into heaven is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And your loyalty, your obedience to Him, bowing down to Jesus Christ, acknowledging who He is. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a good teacher. More than a martyr. He is God in flesh. And the only way you can get to the Father is to go through the Son. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And in that same passage, he says, I go and I prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. Eternity is a long time to be wrong about something. You may be here and you may know people that have their own opinions about Jesus, about church and religion. But I don't care about your opinion. Let me say this. God doesn't care about your opinion. What he cares about is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And do you have one? Do you have a relationship with the creator of all mankind, of all heaven and earth, the Lord of the Sabbath, and therefore the Lord of creation? Do you have a relationship with him? If not, may today be your day of salvation. As we stand to our feet, for our final hymn of invitation. Pray with me as you respond.